And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their garments on the road. As he was now drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Right now, America's having a good time with college basketball, watching the sweets, uh, the watching uh, the tournament, and we're moving to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight. And by the end of today, we'll have it down to the final four. Next week, we will be watching as we try to crown a new national champion. Lots of great stories always come out of, of college basketball, but I saw a great story that came out of college basketball before we started the tournament, and it had to deal with the University of Iowa. There was a young man named Jordan Bohannon. Jordan Bohannon was a sophomore. He was an outstanding player. And he got on a streak this year as a free throw shooter, and he hit 33 free throws in a row, which made me think we might want to hire him to come and work with the Oklahoma City Thunder. (laughs) And lots of professional teams, 33 free throws in a row. What a great thing. But what was really exciting was he, the record at the University of Iowa was 34. It had been set by Chris Street back in 1993. Chris Street was a junior then, and he too was a great player. He was on a roll. He made 34 free throws in a row. And after the game where he'd shot his 34th free throw, he was killed in a car wreck. 21 years old. It was such a tragedy for the university. They wound up retiring his number, number 40, And they started the James Street Award. Every year they would give this award to the best basketball player at the University of Iowa. For 25 years they have given this award to the person who is the most enthusiastic and committed and and passionate about the game. 
the legacy of James Street, his, of, of Chris Street, has been to raise this, this sense of awareness and passion in the program, and people continue to talk about Chris to this day. Well, now we finally had Jordan. He was at 33. He was on a roll. They were going to be playing Northwestern there at home. And everyone was excited that night to see if he would break the record. And sure enough, early on in the game, he got fouled, went to the line to shoot one, and he made his 34th free throw in a row. And it wasn't too long after that, he got fouled again. And now he went to the free throw line, and everybody was kind of getting ramped up, excited. They knew what was on the line. What they didn't know was that Jordan had been talking to his mom and dad, talking to his brothers who were great athletes, basketball players. He'd been praying about it. He'd been thinking about Chris Street and what he meant to the university. And so he went to the line and he shot his free throw and it was a brick. I mean, it hit the front of the rim. It wasn't even close. Bounced off and the streak was over. There was this groan in the stadium. A little later in the game, he was fouled again, went to the line, hit his two free throws. After it was over, they were interviewing him and they said, it's obvious you went up there and missed that free throw on purpose. Why? Why? Then he said, well, we talked about it and we prayed about it. We thought about it. We looked at his life and what he has meant to this university and how for 25 years his legacy lives on and he inspires us. And as we thought about it, we realized, you know, some records are too important to break. In life, there's some things that are more important than basketball. When you look at life and the awareness of death, it gives you a different perspective about really what matters and what's important. Now, I was reading an article that was fascinating. A person had done a study on all the phone calls that were made from planes on 9-11. Planes that were hijacked, where the passengers became aware of the fact they were in mortal danger and it was so serious. As you know, people began to make phone calls from their planes and as they went back and they began to do research and to walk through all these calls, what they discovered was not one person called their broker to say sell. <laughs> Nobody called their banker. Nobody even called their preacher or their priest. Who they called was somebody they loved. They called somebody to be able to say I love you. When confronted with death, it starts to get pretty simple about what really does matter. That's why this morning I want to continue on with this sermon series in matters of life and death and life. And we have said through the season of Lent, you and I were going to examine our lives in the light of God's grace not for the purpose of trying to beat ourselves up, make ourselves feel bad or guilty. We wanted to look at our life in the light of God's grace and in the awareness of death. Understanding that our time is limited, life is uncertain, and we look at it in the midst of God's grace 
and it should help us to understand how we want to live now and always. Today is Palm Sunday. What a special day. You know, it was 20 years ago this summer that I, I made a trip to the Holy Land. I had never thought that was important. I grew up going to seminary. I, I'd seen the pictures. I studied the Bible. I, I didn't really think about how going to the Holy Land would matter. But we finally went, and I just got to tell you, I was wrong. Walking where Jesus walked is a profound experience. It's why we've continued to have trips going to the Holy Land on a regular basis. And Reverend Wendy Lambert is leading one this June. Again, just to be saying, it's how you grow in your faith. When we traveled there, the very first thing we did was we went to um, the Garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives. And you go to the garden and you're there on the Mount of Olives and you start walking down towards Jerusalem. And then I finally understood this passage when it said, Jesus came down the Mount of Olives on a donkey and looked over the city. You do look over the city. You are high up. You're looking down on Jerusalem. It is the perspective from the Mount of Olives. For the Passover, there would be an extra million to two million people who would flood into the walls of Jerusalem. The place was just overwhelmed with people and activity. And so here comes Jesus down the Mount of Olives riding on a donkey. People have come out from the city to line the streets. They were the poor. They were the powerless. And that's why they're on the side of the road with their branches shouting, Hosanna! which means save us. Save us from the Romans. Save us. Glory to God in the highest. They're out there shouting because they want Jesus to come as the Messiah and overthrow the Romans. This didn't just happen spur of the moment. This was well thought out. This was a parade of kind of a counter-protest. Jesus had already worked it all out. He had talked with the man, I'm going to need a donkey. And there's a code and he sent his disciples. The code is the master has need of it. Ah, you can have the donkey. They brought it back. It was all orchestrated. And he comes riding into town, coming down the mountain and it says he stops and looks over Jerusalem. Now what we know is that there was another parade. It probably was going on the same day. We don't know for sure, but it probably happened on that Sunday. This parade was led by Pontius Pilate. You see, Pilate was living there at Caesarea. It's the city by the sea. He was living down there with all of the soldiers because that's where the the breezes were cool. It was a much nicer, beautiful place to live down on the seacoast. If you go there, you will see the back of a seat that says Pontius Pilate engraved in the stone. You know that was reserved for Pilate 2,000 years ago. But when it came time to the Passover, Pilate would come to Jerusalem. His job was to keep the peace. And if you have a couple million people come together in a religious fervor, it is easy to see how it gets out of control. So he would come to Jerusalem riding on a horse. And the people would be carrying their standard bears, the Roman eagle. Banners would be flying, spears and swords. 
shining in the sun. They made this parade into Jerusalem. It was a statement of power and might. How was the kingdom of Rome established? Power and might. Jesus was coming in from the east. And he came riding in on donkey. Because when kings rode on donkeys, they came in the name of peace, not in the name of war. It was the peasants and the poor who were waving the palm branches. There were no swords and no spears. It was going to be a clash of cultures, of values. How does the kingdom come? Is it power and might and the sword? Is it God's grace and love and compassion? They were about to collide. And we know that in the end it would appear the power Rome would win. For Jesus would be crucified. But we also know they didn't really win. And what we also know is that 1,600 years ago, the empire of Rome fell. And for 2,000 years, the kingdom of Christ has continued to grow around the world for truly love and compassion and God's grace conquered power and might. One came riding a horse in the name of war. One came riding a donkey in the name of peace. And it says that Jesus came down the Mount of Olives and he stopped and looked out across the city. And it says he wept. I've always thought that was a powerful verse. He, he comes down and he sees the city and he weeps. And he's not weeping because he's going to die. He's already predicted that several times to the disciples. No, he's weeping because he loves the people. He's weeping for his disciples, for Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Salome. We looked at them last week. He was weeping for all of the people because he knew that if they continued on with power and might and revolt, so many were going to suffer and die. And that's exactly what would happen. The zealots would lead a revolution in 66. They would throw off Roman control for about a year and a half to two years. The Romans would come and surround Jerusalem and lay siege. Josephus, the Jewish historian, would tell us that in 70 they would breach the walls and more than a million people, non-combatants, more than a million people would die by the sword. That's why Jesus wept. Because he saw people embracing the thing that would not work and they were missing the opportunity to do it a different way. Would these things, would you know the things that make for peace, he said, but now they are hid from your eyes. What makes for peace? What really matters when you come to that moment of death? It's love. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I really just want to share with you two ideas. First of all, you and I need to be careful that we don't let our hearts become hardened and cold and cynical. You know, we see so much on the news today. 
we're so aware of all the violence around us and the killing and the suffering, the poverty, the struggles. And you see so much of it, it's easy to let your heart grow cold to where you don't wind up being moved. Because you see all that's going on and you see it so often, it's easy to stop caring. It's especially easy to stop caring if you see people who are struggling and suffering and they hold a different opinion than yours. But we stop caring about even those in our family. We, we become hardened in our hearts even within our own family when people are suffering. We fail to see a husband or wife in pain or our children who are struggling or our grandkids who are hurting. We can get so wrapped up in our own world that our hearts, well, they grow cold. Rachel Rimmon, I, I love Rachel, and she tells a wonderful story of how she had a lady who came to see her. Her name was Vera. She was a physician, just been out of medical school a couple years, but she was struggling. And she had had this experience several years ago that she never had dealt with. It was her first year in medical school. Four months into it, everybody's studying hard. Medical school, we watched it with our son. Oh my goodness gracious, it's so demanding. And you're pushing hard all the time. And Vera said that what they had was a, a kind of a pickup co-ed basketball game. They'd go up to the gym and everybody would play a little bit to kind of force a little oxygen to your brain. And then back to studying some more. And she said it was her f- first year there in medical school. They'd gone up there playing basketball. They were running down the court when this young man fell and laid on the court, his friends surrounded him, and he died. 21 years old, perfectly healthy, he appeared, and he hit the court and died. He was from out of state. The school gathered up all of his belongings, and they shipped them home. They said there would be a service back there in his home state. There never really was anything to do there at the school no way to talk about it, no service to memorialize him. And Vera said, we just kind of pushed it down and kept on going. You, you didn't have time to stop and think. So it came to her second year. In the second year, they had a course on pathology. What are the things that go wrong in the body? And said they had a, had a class where the professor came in with a tray full of human organs. Everybody had on their glasses and their gloves and their coats. And they wanted to see all of these organs that had a problem from birth, birth abnormalities. And so they were passing around these different organs. Do you see what's wrong? And he had a heart and handed it over to Vera and said, Can you see how this coronary descending artery here, well, you can see the problem from this birth um, defect that it actually had. And then just in passing he said, That's the heart from your classmate who died a year ago. And she said she was holding this heart and suddenly she wanted to scream, to run. But she looked around and everybody else was very much under control, very scientific. Oh, yes, I see. She said, I tried to dig deep so I could hold it together and look at this heart and then pass it on. Nothing more was said. It had now been several years and she was sitting there with Rachel and she is telling this story and she closes her eyes and she starts rocking back and forth and she just begins to weep. 
and weep. And Rachel said, you know, it is so important that we learn how to become objective and scientific. But when we learn to stop feeling, we lose our humanity. Sometimes I think we've learned how to stop feeling when we see the struggles and the pain, whether it's in our own family or in our community, around the world. When you learn to stop feeling, when your heart grows cold, you lose your humanity. It says Jesus came down the Mount of Olives and he looked out across the city and he wept. He wasn't weeping because he was going to die. He was weeping because he loved and cared so much for the people. What we need to remember this season of Lent is that Jesus wept not only for the people. He weeps for you and me. When he sees us struggling and hurting, he weeps for us because he cares. It's important for you and I to look at our lives in the light of God's grace in this season of Lent. To remember. I've been telling you a little bit about Fred Rogers. I told you last week how Fred Rogers is making a great comeback. He's been dead for 15 years now. But everybody's talking about Fred Rogers because this year is the 50th anniversary of when Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood went on PBS. And it went live on PBS and it's been such a blessing to so many millions of children through the years growing up. The U.S. Post Office is about to issue a stamp with Mr. Rogers' likeness on it. A movie's being made about his life and Tom Hanks is going to play Mr. Rogers. It should come out in the fall. No, it's, it's a big deal for us right now. But at Ray Dream Remembers, I started thinking about Fred Rogers. One of my favorite stories is when years ago he was asked to be at a charity event to come and to be on stage to perform along with other famous people in Hollywood to raise money for a, a big event. And the first person that day at night to go on was Drew Carey. And then the second person that was going to be going on was Fred Rogers. Now I just ask you to think about that for a moment. Drew Carey, and then Fred Rogers. I don't know who was putting this list together, but they weren't thinking. Drew Carey went out and he did his monologue, and it was about all kinds of off-colored jokes and vulgar things, and boy, he just went on and on, and he had people laughing and laughing and rolling and laughing as he carried on his monologue, and Fred Rogers is standing over here thinking, how do I come on after this? What do I do? And so finally when Drew Carey came off, Fred came on and he said, you know, I'd like to ask that we could have silence for 60 seconds. I'm going to clock it. For 60 seconds, I'd like you to think about who loved you into being. 60 seconds, go. Everybody got quiet. He said it was about the 22nd mark. You could hear somebody sniffling. Down front, you could see them wiping their eyes. Over on the side, they were crying. 
He said, I find it always happens when you ask people to grow still and to remember that person or the two, three, four, five people who opened a door for you, who blessed your life, who loved you into being. When people grow still and they remember how they were loved, it always warms their heart and opens their soul. I'd like to suggest that maybe this week as you and I are in the home stretch towards Easter, it's Holy Week, our last week of Lent, that maybe this week you take the time to grow still and be quiet and you think about who loved you into being. That you think about how Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem and He wept. Not only for the people in Jerusalem, but for you and me. He cares. To think about that one, two, three, four, five who loved you into being. For it will warm your heart and open your soul. So we don't lose our humanity. But secondly, I think what happens is when you and I come to that point of death, it's really not going to matter the size of your house or the car you drive or how much money you have in your bank account or the awards you have on the shelf or the title on your door. What's going to matter is have you loved and been loved? That's what you're going to think about. Just like those on a doomed airplane wanted to call to say, I love you, you think of those one, two, three, four, those people who loved you into being. I believe also what's going to matter when you come to the end is you're going to wonder when someone ticks off those one, two, three, four, five, is anybody going to name you as a person who loved them into being? We don't have to be afraid to die. We're going to celebrate Easter next week. We don't have to be afraid to die for we know the promise of Christ. I think when we come to the end, what we worry about is not that promise of eternal life. We're going to worry, did our lives matter? Is anybody going to remember us? Did we make a difference? And the answer is we all can by being those who loved somebody else into being by being kind. It is what Jesus came to ask of His disciples in the world to come into Jerusalem and say, it will not be by power and force and might. It will be through the gift of God's love and grace and mercy and compassion that you will find life, the kingdom. Not long ago I was watching TV and I I saw a clip about Catholicism and about living as a Catholic. It was very well done. And then I realized it was actually produced by Mike Leonard. Now, some of you who've been around for a while will remember Mike Leonard. Mike Leonard um, was on a reporter for the NBC Today show for more than 30 years. And we brought him here to speak at St. Luke's maybe 10 years ago. He was so entertaining, such a man of faith. I really came to appreciate and love Mike Leonard. Well, he's retired now, and now that he retired, 
he's working at producing a 10-part series for the Catholic Church. He's a good Catholic and trying to talk about what does it mean to have faith? So it was very well done. But it made me think about Mike Leonard and when he wrote a book entitled The Ride of Our Lives. You remember the book? The Ride of Our Lives. It was really all about how his parents were getting into their 80s and, and his parents were very eccentric. He'd gotten married. He had four kids. And he decided that now is the time to take his parents and go back to where they'd been born, where they grew up, where they went to school. The Ride of Our Lives. They were going to get in an RV there in Arizona where his parents lived and they were going to go 4,000 miles, take a month to travel all along the south and up the east coast and, and just go back and have all these experiences. They were then going to cut these little vignettes when they were at these places. What did they learn? And those were going to be on the Today Show. And so it was that his mom and dad were going to go. Mike was going to go. Three of his children were going to go. A daughter-in-law was going to go. His wife, Kathy, said, I think that is so cool that you're going to take a month's trip, 4,000 miles in an RV with your parents, and I think I'm going to stay home. <laughs> she said, you know, our daughter, well, she's pregnant. She might need me. So the two of them stayed home, and the rest of the family went. And so they would cut these little vignettes and remember the ride of their lives. Well, they got to this point where they made it all the way to Maryland. And they went to Mount St. Mary's College. That's where Mike's father, Jack, had gone to school. Mount St. Mary's there in Maryland. And his father was so proud. I mean, his parents, Jack's parents, had come over from Ireland as immigrants. They had never gone to school a day in their life. And now their son, Jack, would graduate from college. I mean, that's a big deal. He had never been back to his college since the day he graduated, more than 60 years ago. And so he was so excited about going back now with his grown grandkids. And so they got to the college and they got on the campus and you could just, he was beaming. And what, see that over there? I mean, you see that? You, you see that where they got that room up on the second floor and the window near the end? That was my room. That's where I lived. He walked by a water fountain and he started getting something to drink. He said, I, you know, I got a drink from that water fountain every day before I went to class. I mean, he was just having a ball wherever he went showing them things. But he wanted to talk to somebody. Now, he knew that none of the people who had taught him were still around. Most were dead. But he went to the admissions office, and there was a secretary, and he said, I I'd like to visit with somebody. Well, who would you like to see? I'd like to visit with your boss. I'm sorry, he's in a meeting. Well, is the meeting here on campus? Yes. Why don't we go spring him for five minutes? I'd just like to talk to him. I'm sorry, sir. He's in a very important meeting. He'll be tied up all day. Well, I'd like to talk to somebody. Well, who do you know? She doesn't get it. I don't know anybody. I just want to talk to somebody to kind of reminisce and tell them about my days here at school. She got out a list and said, well, do you know? No, I don't know any of these people. Finally, Mike spoke up and he said, you know, my dad would just like to talk to somebody. Doesn't matter whether it's an administrator or a professor, a student, a janitor. He just wants to talk to somebody. And if you let him talk to somebody, we can film this and we'll put it on the Today Show. It could be great advertising for Mount St. Mary. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I'm not sure who to refer you to. 
She didn't get it. Have you ever had those people when there's times you just felt they were annoyance? Your heart grows cold. You don't really care. I'm sorry, sir. I don't know who to refer you to. They didn't get upset. Jack just said, I understand. And so this old man turned to leave and his grandkids kind of put their arms around their grandfather and walked him across the campus. And they shot that and they ran that link there on the Today Show. Well, I had seen it and I was talking with Mike when he was here. And I said, you know, you handled that well. It was so sad. But no one got upset and angry. We all felt angry, but you handled that so well. And Mike started laughing and said, oh, Bob, you don't know the rest of the story. He said, well, we ran that on the Today Show. And when it got through, the switchboard at Mount St. Mary's lit up like a Christmas tree. All the alums were calling going, how can you be so mean? How can you be so unkind? Oh, they let them have it. It finally calmed down. And then the book came out. And everybody started reading the book. And when they'd get to that chapter, the switchboard started lighting up again. And it went on for weeks as people were calling and saying, how could you be so mean? How could you be so unkind? He said the school was really upset and they were calling saying, okay, we get it. You know, what do you want? What do you want? How about we make your father give him a doctorate degree? How about we throw a party for him and give him a doctorate degree? You can make a a video about that. And Mike said, we don't want that. My father doesn't want a doctorate degree. All we would hope is that the next time some 80-year-old shows up, you'll remember to be kind. Sometimes we forget Our hearts grow cold. And when you come to the end, what's going to matter is knowing that you have been loved, that you've been loved by Christ and so many, and that you have loved and loved somebody into being. In matters of life and death and life, What matters in the end, what solely matters now, is love. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.